Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron, and I am grateful you are here with me today. So I am going to jump right in and introduce you to my guest for today. I am interviewing Candy Deemer, and Candy is an executive coach. She is also the co-author of Dancing on the Glass Ceiling, which dives into how to tap into your true strengths, activate your vision, and get what you really want out of your career. Candy has so many great insights to share, not only about being a leader in business and a high-powered leader, but also about her experience receiving coaching, as well as becoming a coach and the impetus to writing the book. She has so much great information to share. I can't wait for you to dive in and to listen to this conversation. So as I always do, I want to start out by asking you to take out a piece of paper, hopefully your Lead Your Life notebook, where you're keeping your insights and the answers to the questions I ask you as you go through the episodes. But for this specific episode, I want you to think about how how are you going to tap into the powers of your specific and authentic feminine leadership? I also invite you to think about your specific strengths. What are those? And how can you amplify those more on a day-to-day basis? So with those two questions in mind, let's dive into my conversation with Candy Deemer. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Candy, I'm so grateful you were here today. I'm excited about our conversation. So thank you for taking the time. I'm very, very happy to be here with you. Uh, Well, I would love for you just to share a little bit about yourself and your career history. How much time have you got? (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, okay, the short version. I started out in the advertising business, uh, which was a wonderful business to be in. I spent about 22, 23 years working for large agencies most of it for Doyle Dane Burnback, which is now DDB Worldwide in Los Angeles. When I left that in like the year 2000, I was the chief operating officer of the Los Angeles office. Uh, and I left because actually because of a couple of things. We, we, had a, I, we had a pretty significant health scare with one of my sons who was four years old at the time, which really caused me to sit and think, what am I doing with my life? What do I want to do with my life? How do I want to be spending my time? And I was realizing that I was hardly seeing my kids. I was working like 12 hours a day. Uh, so I needed to make some changes. I had been thinking about leaving advertising and that that was kind of, you know, the frosting on the cake. I was like, okay, I'm making that decision. So I gave my boss a year's notice. Uh, and then I hired a coach that I had had uh, that I had hired for a couple of the other executives in the business and had her coach me uh, to help me figure out my, you know, my grand finale, my closeout year at DDB, and also to help me create the life that I wanted to go into. 
that led me to my to my second career. Uh, Nancy, her name was Nancy Fredericks, and when I left DDB, I was intending to write a novel. She approached me and said she had a, an idea for a book, uh, and as an executive coach, she had a lot of experience on her side of it. And as an executive that she had coached, I had the experience on my side of being, you know, the only woman in a room of senior level executives. And so we wrote the book called Dancing on the Glass Ceiling, which was really to help women figure out how to tap into their strengths as women rather than spend so much of their careers trying to transform themselves into an image of the men so that they could, you know, be part of the boys network. And then that led me into executive coaching, which I've been doing now for probably close to 20 years. Wow. And, you know, keep saying I'm going to write another book. I have that novel finished uh, in rough draft, but someday I'll get back to it. I I love that. Well, Kenny, thank you for sharing a little bit about your career background. And I'm curious, as someone who's an executive coach now, how was that coaching experience for you when you when you were being coached as an executive in an organization? Well, so so Nancy and I sat down for our first meeting and she said, well, you know, what do you want to work on with your coaching program? And I created this song I want to do, I want to do, I want to do. It's a big, gigantic to-do list, you know, a lot of things I wanted to do in this last year. And she kind of sat back and she said, well, I had something different in mind. And I said, okay, what do you have in mind? She said, well, you know, from, from, you know, seeing you and how you operate in the agency, because she had by then known me for probably close to a year because I was the sponsor of the other two engagements. She said, you know, I don't know if you realize it, but she said, she said, you're, um, when I see you in a room with all of these other guys, you're the most max- masculine person in the room. And she said, that's what I want to work on. She said, I want to work with you on getting your masculine and feminine energy back into balance. And as she was explaining it to me, I had the, I had a visceral feeling of someone reaching into my rib cage and prying it open. And I could almost see like dust coming out. Hmm. And I remember the feeling of it even today, you know, 20 years later. And, and, uh, so I said, okay, we'll, we'll work on that. And so that was the, the, the major emphasis of the first part of the coaching work that I did with her. And it was some very wacky things that she was having me do like weird seminars to go to that. I, I mean, pure trust in Nancy was what got me there. Um, but I could feel a shift starting to happen inside me. I was, I was, it was kind of a settling. I was, I was settling down. I was, I was becoming more comfortable you know, just being fully who I am, because there is a masculine part to all of us and a feminine part to all of us. Sure. And when sure. I and I and I had to find that feminine part in me again. And the result of that was that what happened at the agency was that all of a sudden all these people started walking into my office and telling me, you know, we have a problem here, we have a problem there, we need your help here, you know, I have an idea for this. So all of a sudden I was getting all of this information that I needed in order to really solve problems and and help supercharge, you know, the the lives of the people at the agency. The other thing that happened was at home. I, at the time I was married, was, I am still married to the same guy. And I had had three young sons and uh, there was just a general, I, I, I liken it to like a, 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 like a reverberation level, a vibration level, like, the vibration level settled at home and got calmer. 
And I realized it was because before I started working with Nancy, you know, I wasn't only being really masculine at work, I was being really masculine at home. And so I was competing with my husband to be the father instead of being the mother. And once I settled into my role as my kid's mother, everybody else kind of settled down too. Uh, and then the irony was about two or three months into the coaching, my husband said, hey, you know, that woman you're doing that coaching work with, can I have her number? Because I think I want to have her coach me too. So then he started uh. the coaching program. With me. <laughs> I I love that. And first of all, I mean, there's, there's so much to unpack here, right? I love that, you know, you acknowledge you were in an industry. I mean, I think you know, back then we were all raised to, if you want to succeed as a woman, you have to be like the men. And I love that your coach, Nancy, helped you change that mindset and helped you get more in touch with your your feminine, your natural feminine leadership tendencies, right? So I, I, I love that mindset shift. And then also, I love what you talk about in terms of having a holistic shift in your life through the process of coaching. So yes, you can you can be a leader getting coached at work on a specific topic or a specific goal, but the ripple effect of that and how powerful the coaching process is to really be transformative. Yeah. So I'm so glad you shared that story. And which leads into obviously you have a relationship with Nancy at this point. She's your coach. And so what was the impetus to writing the book? Uh, well, when she approached me, her she said, um, you know, here was her idea. She said, you know, I coach a lot of men and a lot of women. And she said, with the women I coach, there are a subset of issues that I work with with them almost all the time, the, the masculine feminine issue being one. Uh, that, and she said, these issues hardly ever come up with the men. And she said, that's the book I want to write about. Because she said, I think these issues are happening because women are trying to turn themselves into the men. And she said, you're one of them. So you you know, you, you're the, you're subject A, so you can speak about it from your point of view and your experience as an executive. And she could speak about it from her experience as a coach, which was a great pairing. And I loved the idea. You know, I had, I had lived through these things that we were talking about. And so, you know, that's, that's how we got started. I, I love it. And so just to reiterate, the book is called Dancing on the Glass Ceiling. I have a copy of it here. Mm -hmm. It is so phenomenal. And what I love about it is not only does it give great insights, there are real practical action steps and processes. It's as if you have a coach sitting with you while you're reading the book. And it's all about turning those insights into action. So I think you and Nancy did a great job. I've really enjoyed reading it. And so, so grateful that you brought, you know, you and Nancy brought this out into the world because I think so many women can benefit and uh, we'll have the link to purchase the book um, in the show notes just so people can easily access that. So you talk in the book around, you know, and we're talking now about women typically strengthening those male qualities, especially as we rise through the ranks. Yet you share some great examples in the first few pages of the book um, literally on page three and four, you share some great examples of women leaders who leaned into their female qualities as leaders quite successfully. And would love if you could just share a few of those examples or or instances with my listeners. Well, 
can I sh- share an additional example? I'll share one of those. And then of I'll, course, I'll share of an course. additional one that's actually, you know, I'm experiencing with someone as we speak. Sure. Um, so the first example that I would say is Sherry Lansing at Paramount. I mean, you know, she was definitely at that at that time, a woman in a man's world. You know, she I can't remember what her title was. She was the president, I believe. And yet her reputation was as this wonderful, warm, always will have time for you woman. I mean, people people just had nothing bad to say about her. Uh, and and since since writing the book, I mean, when I wrote the book, uh, I had had a couple of uh, experiences kind of seeing her in action. Uh, she's, uh, uh, I have to do a plug, she's a Northwestern grad, as am I. And Northwestern has uh, an alumni women's group called the Council of 100 uh, that are women who have reached high levels in their careers. And it's designed to be a mentoring group for the other women alums. And Sherry was in that group. And although she had trouble getting back to Chicago and Evanston for meetings for the summer parties that we would have where we would invite alums and students, she always opened up Paramount. She hosted the entire thing. She made sure she was there to do a kickoff at the breakfast. And, you know, she these were all like students at Northwestern and, you know, young women fresh out of school. Sure. It it wasn't like there, there was anybody there she she had to impress. She did this out of out of graciousness. And uh, it just meant a lot to, to everybody there. And then the, the, the current example today is somebody that I've also gotten to know through the Council of 100. Her name's Nancy Utley, and she just retired as the CEO of Fox Searchlight Pictures. Uh, she was there, I believe, 12 years. And during that time, she built the best Academy Award winning record in the business. And she did it with films that were not the big boss, you know, films like, you know, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, Slumdog Millionaire, you know, films that 12 Years a Slave, amazing motion pictures um, that required a champion to get them produced um, because, because a lot of these pictures were not, you know, in kind of the main vein of what a typical um, audience is going to see. And, and Nancy, she's a, first of all, she's about five foot two, uh, very quiet. She herself says I'm an introvert and is always giving of her time and, and energy to help other people. She's just incredibly gracious, uh, and collaborative. I mean, I just, it, it, I just think she's quite remarkable. That's incredible. And what I love about that, the latter story is, so many people think that you need to be a certain way mm-hmm. to be a leader. And, you know, she's sharing that she's an introvert. And I, you know, I think it's so powerful when people can tap into their own authentic strengths and really bring those to the forefront. So I, I think that's so powerful. And I also love too is when you were sharing about Sherry in terms of mentoring these young these young women coming out of college. And in the book, you talk about how many of us come out of college, we take a we take a job, and then we end up on this career path without a lot of forethought. Mm -hmm. And we end up getting promoted, that promotion ends up leading to another promotion. And pretty soon, we're on this path that maybe is a completely different direction than what we really wanted when we were graduating from college. 
And so I'm curious if you could just share what are steps that you give to women or encourage women to take to get clarity on their destination? These, this, this falls in the realm of all of these, you know, wow, I could have had a V8 moments that I learned myself that I wished I had known, you know, <laughs> 10 or 20 years earlier. Uh, so the first thing is to really spend some time just thinking about what your values are, um, because it's so easy to get lost. And it's also so e- to get lost in a career that doesn't align with your values. And it's very easy to get lost in, a, in or to, to end up in a company that doesn't align with your values. And for anybody out there who's been there, you feel it because you feel like even when you're being successful, you're battling uphill all the time. You don't feel like you quite ever get rewarded or acknowledged. You know, if you're a collaborator and you're in a company that really wants, you know, single star performers, uh, that's to me one of the most blatant examples. Um, So it's really to have some clarity around your values. And then when when you actually start interviewing for jobs, to really be, be, you know, looking and asking about what the values of the company are and not what they speak, but what they show in terms of how they mm-hmm. behave towards each other and, and how they behave as citizens in the world around them. Um, the other thing is people young in their career, either when you're young in your career starting out or when you're, you're kind of mid-career trying to figure out, you know, what do I want to do next, is not to narrow your sights too soon. Because keeping broad sights keeps you open to surprise possibilities that you may not have thought of, but in fact, may be the the nirvana that you're looking for. So when I'm talking to somebody who's trying to figure out, oh, should I be a consultant or should I go into, into, into the corporate side? It's like, well, interview on both job tracks and then learn as you interview and see what starts to appeal to you more. Uh, same thing when someone's trying to change careers. It's like, don't pick the one next career you want to go to. Pick two or three options that leverage your strengths and experience from your current career and then explore all three of them. And then kind of, you know, it's like cream. See what rises to the top for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such sage advice. And, you know, we recommend the same thing in our group programs, et cetera. That's the first module we do is working and getting clarity on your values. Mm-hmm. And I, I love what you shared about it. It really drains you when when you're not in the in alignment with your values, whether it's you're in a relationship or a business working relationship or, you know, whatever it might be when your values are out of alignment, you can I, I love that you shared you can really feel that because it's so true, because mm-hmm. I know some people listening might say, well, how do I know if I'm in alignment with my values? Well, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. You know it. And it's a matter of knowing it and then also listening to it and taking action on it, right? Because sometimes that fear can creep up. So so I, I love that you shared that. Um, I want to transition now into really tapping into the powers of feminine leadership, which is one of the chapters in your book. Mm-hmm. And you talk about uh, many different qualities, but one of the qualities that you mention is empowering women and encouraging them to build rich working relationships. Mm-hmm. We'd love for you to share more about your thoughts on this. Well, I think one of the, one of the things that, that I've seen over the years with women, more so than with men, is networking is, is just a really uncomfortable thing for them. And, and I believe, and, and it's not to say that men love networking and women don't. There are plenty of men that feel the same way about it. So they're going to get something from this too. But 
there does seem to be this perception that networking is about taking something from somebody, going and getting something from somebody. And, and really, really good and really effective networkers who develop very robust networks. Um, for them, it's not about that at all. For them, the emphasis that they put, if you were to look at all their networking activity, it's probably two thirds of their work is on nurturing the people in their network and maybe one third at the most on approaching somebody and saying, hey, I'm, I need a little bit of help here or do you know somebody that I can that you can connect me with over there? But they spend a lot of their time with the people in their networks helping these other people, creating connections for them. And oftentimes I think we don't think about how we can help others in that way. You know, they're, they're, we, I, I do quite a bit of work um, for Northwestern and, you know, a lot of it is fundraising. Now I'm not a gigantic giver. I don't have a gazillion million dollars, but I can get people excited about causes and I can get people connected to other people. So I can connect people at the university with other people and say, start talking to them about this. And, and that's a value that I could bring to the people in my network. Sure. That, that value for, for connecting people to other people, you know, the whole six degrees of separation thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and to expand on that, I also, I think what I also see too, and I'm sure you experience this as we talk about some of the themes that we see with women in our coaching practices is women traditionally have this idea or this mindset that if they put their head down and do the work, they'll get ahead, Mm -hmm. they'll get promoted, they'll get noticed, they'll get acknowledged. And a, a great example of that is women will wait until the last minute to attend an in-person meeting. So they won't show up 10 or 15 minutes early because they want to continue getting done whatever they're working on. And they're really losing out on this value of this casual conversation, this connection time, and, you know, this relationship building prior to the meeting, where sometimes that's where a lot of things are solidified. And then the meeting is almost more just, you know, it's not as impactful because all those decisions might have even been made beforehand. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I'm, I'm coaching somebody right now in a, in a very large fortune, I don't know if it's fortune 100, but fortune 500 company for sure. Uh, and she's in a very senior position, not a VP yet, but very close, managing almost a billion dollars worth of worth of business. And this is one of the things we're working on. She's like, you know, I'm just not comfortable when I'm in the room with these senior executives. How can I get more comfortable? And so, so you know, one of one of the things I'm, I'm having her do is like, I want you to to call them up. And she just moved into a new job, so it's like you have, you, you know, when you move into a new job or in a new company. You have a, a, a startup period where you get to be the person that's just calling to learn and you have nothing yeah. to lose and everything to gain. So I said, I want you to start making phone calls and say, you know, I'm new. I'd like to spend 15 minutes, 20 minutes with you, getting to know you a little bit uh, and, you know, talking about the business and what your perceptions are of, you know, what's going well, what could be going better and start building a personal relationship with them. So that then by the time you walk into the room and you're in a big meeting with all the big muckety mucks, you're like, oh, I know Joe. Oh yeah, he and I talked about this. And, and, and it's a lot more comfortable for you and for them. And, you know, and that, I wanna, that rolls into something else. You know, so many women get to a certain level in an organization and they're, you know, the, the glass ceiling, they're like, oh, 
Why can't, you know, why is Joe always getting the job? I can't get the job. Why did Brad get the job? And, and if you, you know, and honestly, and if they're not better in skill set, you ask yourself, why are they getting the job? Well, when you're a, when you're a senior level, a top level senior level executive and you're promoting somebody, you don't just look at their skill set. You look at who they are and you're going to promote the person that you know the best and that you trust the most. And if, as women, if we're not giving our senior leaders the opportunity to get to know us, then how can we expect them to trust us? Mm-hmm. And that's what relationship building is, is that's part of why it's so important. I love that candy. So powerful. And, and it's true, it, you know, by us holding back, we're not giving people the opportunity to get to know really, truly who we are. And it, it that's really powerful. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I also appreciate the myths that you bring up in the book about feminine leadership. And so let's talk about the myth that you share around women are too emotional in business. Um, you specifically state that emotions are one of our strongest business advantages. So please share more. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because I have to say some of the most emotional people in the business that I've experienced are men, but somehow we never... We never remember that. It it just <laughs> it looks and feels different different when when you know emotions are coming from men. All I can tell you is we're emotional beings, right? We 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 want to be cared about, and showing emotion. Um, I'm not saying yelling and screaming. I mean that's you know, but but showing empathy. I mean, look at all the stuff we're reading today. What is it saying about all the top executives? We're all going back to work. COVID's happening. Everybody has all this uncertainty. What is an executive's highest? You know, m- one of their most important skills today: being empathetic, being compassionate. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm going to take a flyer and say, you know, women, we spend most of our lives in some ways, working at being empathetic and compassionate, whether it's to our mothers, to our, to our siblings, to our fathers, to our husbands, to our children. So that is, I believe, a real strength. And I think a lot of women, as they're rising, they try to bury that strength. And, you know, and instead, like, I have to be a hard ass, I have to be a hard ass. No, you don't. You know, you you need to, to require accountability of the people that are working for you. You need to be clear about the goals you have for them, but you, you don't need to be a hard ass. I, and I think the woman who's captured this the best in terms of communication is Kim Scott in her book, radical candor, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, you know, being the hard ass is not the right way to go, but radical candor is, you know, direct communication, but delivered, delivered with care and compassion. I love that. And it, it's, you know, what I really hear you saying is, I think a lot of these feminine qualities are coming up as we're reading about this new style of leadership. And they really are a lot of women's core strengths. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, stop pushing those down and really embrace those as the female leader you are, like you, like you talk about tapping into the power of the, that feminine leadership. Um, another leadership quality that you talk about is unleashing your creativity. And what do you say to those women listening or men listening who say to themselves, I'm, I don't think I'm particularly creative. All human beings are creative. 
And what happens when we're in school from very young childhood and we're being taught to do things the right way, that is when, when our creativity begins to be stifled. I mean, I, I saw this, I, I, I used to you know, be a volunteer teaching an art program in, in elementary school a gazillion years ago. And this little girl was in third grade and, you know, and, and we, were, we were working on, it was like a Picasso. And you know Picasso, I mean, you know, you've got eyes over here and ears upside down. <laughs> so they're doing this drawing and all of a sudden she's like collapsing in tears and she's a basket case. And, I, and I'm thinking she got hurt, something happened. I'm like, what happened? What happened? I made a mistake. And I'm like, there's no mistakes in art. This isn't a mistake. Just keep going. And, yeah. and it was so sad to me that, that, you know, at eight years old, she was so oriented towards doing something the right way that she literally was frozen. And so nurturing creativity is about seeing, as, and this is, boy, a great thing for business, learning to have the courage to just keep going, make mistakes and, and see those mistakes as learning. Like, how am I going to do it better the next time? Not as reasons mm -hmm. to stop and punish yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think as I was reading your book, I was thinking to myself, you know, so many, myself included, and I know many of my female coaching clients, we get saddled with perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And I, I love this sentence in the book where you say, um, the essence of creativity is exploring outside the boundaries and challenging existing rules. Mm -hmm. And what I took from that, I mean, that just resonated with me so profoundly because I think as women, we're socialized to be rule followers and to stay inside the lines and, you know, keep those boundaries. And, you know, what I really hear you encouraging is, we need to we need to break outside those boundaries. We need to let go of the perfectionism in order to curate that cur that creativity. Yeah, well, I think we need to let go of perfectionism for sure too. If you want to if you want to rise uh, and mm -hmm. and go into higher management levels, but artists don't spend their time going that's perfect. You know, they don't. <laughs> it's they, so true. They don't work for perfect. They work for different and. You know, in coaching, you know, I'm, I'm sure you you ask this question a lot, too. Whenever I have somebody and they're really stuck, the question I ask them is, OK, well, let's sit back. What assumptions are you making that might not be true? You know, like a perennial assumption, I think so many people make when I hear them struggling between choices is that it's an either or choice. So it's like, are you assuming it's either or? What if we say, hey, what if it could be and? You know, what if I could have. What if I could have this career here and do work? What if I could do part-time here and part-time there? What if, you know, what if, what if I replaced my either or thinking with and? What new possibilities happen? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, so, so powerful. Another thing I want to touch upon is you give these career enriching concepts in the book. And one of them is listen to yourself for approval not others. Mm -hmm. And how do you see this play out with women in leadership as especially as they move up through the ranks? I think part of this is about also about courage. And it, we're circling back now going all the way back to values. It's about it's about anchoring yourself in your own values and in your own goals. Uh, and then 
you you evaluate your progress and what you're doing well and what you're not based on those things. Uh, it's okay for somebody else to give you input, but you don't, so many women just automatically take input from an external superior as, well, that's the correct input because they're higher mm-hmm. than I am. They're smarter than I am. Right. Well, they're not perfect. <laughs> they make mistakes too. <laughs> so let's look exactly. at it. You know, if you can step back and look and evaluate what's valid that you want to take in and what's not. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, I, you know, when I was in advertising, I went through at, at DDB here in LA in the span of 20 years, I think we went through five or six presidents in our, just in our office. And it's really easy to lose yourself when you have somebody new coming in and wanting to please them. I learned very early on, I'm going to just work to do the absolute best job that I know how to do. And if that pleases them, great. And if that doesn't, then I'm not meant to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and that got me through five or six and it kept getting me promoted. So, you know, I, I think I hit on the right formula. Um, I would take their feedback. but. Sure. But I would look at it objectively rather than reverentially. Yes. Yes. So powerful. And you you also state in the book, which I loved this, you said, if your need for external approval is strong, you are giving your power away and placing your own success and joy in the hands of others. It's so true. Yeah. So true. true. And I'm so grateful that you you shared that Um, because I think it is important for women to understand that we need to undo some of the mindsets of how we were socialized. And, you know, I I love, you know, obviously taking feedback is important, but also being objective about it. Yeah. Not just because it's coming from authority or someone above you. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really powerful. I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I've thoroughly enjoyed your book, Dancing on the Glass Ceiling. Again, I will have the link in the show notes for people to listen One of the things I pride myself on the show is turning insights into action. And so I'm curious to know if you if you have any insight from the book or anything that we talked about today that you would love for my listeners to put into action. Ooh, an insight to put into action. You know, it's funny getting ready to talk to you today. I had to go back and reread through the book myself because it had been (laughs) been many years, you know, since we've written it. And it was both gratifying and sad to me that it's still so relevant today, 20 years mm. later. Yeah. Um, I really w- wish that some of these things would have been like, okay, over and done with, we're past that now. And I, <laughs> I don't think I can say that for any of them. Um, what to turn into action? Honestly, I think, I think two things. Uh, and the first would be what we talked about at the very beginning of the show around values to really spend time um, to be very clear about what your values are and then to use those as you as you go through your life and your career. And I think the second one, it's kind of a favorite of mine, is networking. To really um, get past any barriers that you have because particularly as you progress in a career, having a rich network uh, is important to you, not only for your career, but just for your personal life. You know, these these relationships that that you build will be can be lifelong relationships and you'll have different levels of relationships, you know, in in the people in your network. But having that network will enrich you. 
Um, when I was in, when I was in college, many many years ago, I was in a sorority, and I was actually, believe it or not, pretty shy. I I you know did not grow up very affluent. You know, I go off to Northwestern. There was one sorority sister, Ann Benedict. Um, she passed away many years ago, but she was one of the most dynamic people I've ever met. She was a very tall Nordic blonde with just an infectious sense of humor. But the thing that I noticed about Anne is that whenever she went into a room, she was like a magnet. People were just attracted to her. We would walk down the main road of the campus and you had to plan an extra 20 minutes because so many people wanted to stop her to say hello. And I was like, how can she do that? I, I want to do that. How, how, how does she do that? So I thought, well, I can learn how to do that by watching her. So right. when we would go to parties, whatever, I would just kind of stand aside and watch what she did. And what she did was when she walked into a room, she would find a group of people and just walk up with complete openness and curiosity and absolutely no judgment at all. Hi, my name's Anne. What's yours? What brings you here? Her assumption, her assumption for everybody she met was you are a fascinating person and I just need to figure out why. And that that was a magnet because it's complete validation of that other person before you even know them. How many how how often does that ever happen to you? And people loved her for that. And so I thought, well, I'm just, you know, people, people, you know, oftentimes are we work with people and they say, well, I just you know, how, how do I be authentic? I don't, I don't really feel, you know, this self-confidence. Well, I thought, well, I'm just going to practice this until I get better at it. And I, for sure, for probably a good two or three years, I was just pushing myself, pushing myself, pushing myself, because it did not feel natural to me. But then when I started seeing the response I was getting, it was like, well, I really like this. And then I got better. <laughs> and so it's that yeah. kind of that learning, you know, those four squares of learning, you know, I went from what is it they call it? Conscious incompetence right, to conscious right. competence. And then now it's just natural. It's just something that I do. And I have her to thank because I don't know if I could have learned that skill. She was just such a great role model. And for networking, yeah. you know, it, it's it's been a real blessing for me. Uh, no, I love that. I love that you share that story. And, you know, what I hear are a couple of things about hers. One, her energy. It sounds like she just had this infectious energy. And I love that you talked about this curiosity, this deep curiosity, because the best conversation topic that people love to have is about themselves. Mm -hmm. And when you can go into exactly right. that conversation being insatiably curious about that other person, it just provides this really instant bonding connection. Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad you shared that, Candy. Um, any last words of wisdom before we close out our conversation today? I'm so grateful you've been here. Yeah, my last words of wisdom are every once in a while to do a check-in with yourself and to just ask yourself a very simple question. Uh, and the question is, am I happy? Mm -hmm. And and if your instinctive answer to that question is no, then sit down and do some thinking about it because life is too short for us to spend even a moment being unhappy and not doing anything about it. I could not agree with you more. Such valuable, great advice, such a simple question, but mm -hmm. such a question that we all need to be asking ourselves. So Candy, thank you so much for spending the time doing the interview. I'm grateful for 
your work as a coach. I'm grateful for our connection. And I'm grateful for your voice uh, that you and Nancy have put out into the world that has been so valuable to women. So again, thanks for the time. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I have thoroughly enjoyed this time with you, Natalie. It's been great. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now.